This is the second in our series of podcasts from the 2010 Generations of Faith program at Immaculate Conception Church in Akron, Ohio. This is Sister Margaret Mott. She is a Sister of Charity of Cincinnati. She is the Director for the Office of Evangelization for the Diocese of Cleveland. She has worn many hats in her career. Um, the most important things, remember she's Irish. <laughs> she, she's a remarkable woman of faith. Uh, she knows that her hope is in the Lord. And I'm very, very privileged to call her my friend. So, Sister Margaret. Thank you. So tonight we gather to uh, reflect on our call to be disciples of Jesus, which we call, I call it the big E word, evangelization. And so we gather and we call upon our Lord to be with us this evening. We ask God our Father, who sent the Son into the world to bring its light, to pour out his Spirit upon us as we gather this evening, to so the truth of the Spirit in our hearts, to awaken us to obedience in our faith. May all of us be born again to the new life of baptism and enter the fellowship of your holy people. Grant this to our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I am very happy to be with you this evening to talk about a very important aspect of our lives, and that's our discipleship, evangelization. I would like you to think about Jesus' baptism. Remember, Remember that story? Go back into the gospel and remember the story of Jesus being baptized. Remember, he heard the voice, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And after Jesus is baptized, he went into the desert where he stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he was in the desert, you know the story of the temptations. Jesus was tested and tempted. And he comes out of that whole experience of 40 days and 40 nights transformed and purified. And if you follow the gospel story, the first thing Jesus does when he's finished with that experience, he goes into the town to begin his public ministry. So this time in the desert was a time of preparation for him to get ready. But he comes into town and he's scratching his head and he goes, wait a minute, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this by myself. I need some helpers. So as he's coming through the town, he stops and he invites disciples. John, follow me. Peter, follow me. And if you look in the gospel story, I can't remember which of the three uh, translations it was, but Jesus says to Peter, Peter, follow me. And in the gospel story, it says, uses the word immediately. Peter was in the boat with his father fishing, and immediately he left the boat and followed Jesus. John did the same thing. I don't know about you, but I've always reflected on that. Like, what made the disciples just drop everything and follow Jesus? If somebody came up to me on the street this evening and said, Margaret, follow me, I'd be very skeptical, wouldn't you? I'd have lots of questions. Who are you? Can I trust you? What do you want? Where are we going? How long is it going to take? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I am always amazed when I read the gospel stories about how the disciples dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. And my question is always, my question of reflection is, what was so attractive about Jesus that they dropped what they were doing to follow him? Something you might want to ponder, because you may come up with some great reasons why you think. I believe they saw, I believe they followed Jesus because they saw the fire in his eyes. The title tonight is Rekindle the Flame. We all have the flame within us. We need to rekindle it from time to time. And I believe the disciples followed Jesus because they saw the fire in his eyes. When you see two people in love, aren't they lit up? They're like radiant. You can read it all over their faces. You can read it all over their body, their mannerisms. That all shows up, right? So they... (laughs) And hopefully that fire will continue on and on into 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of marriage, right? Okay, right. Amen. I think they saw in Jesus' eyes a fire burning with, with life passion for life. You know, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and not just have it, have it more abundantly, have it to the full. There's a difference. Have it to the full. What does that mean? And I believe they saw in Jesus's eyes, a fire burning with longing that the hungry would be filled with good things, that the mighty and the powerful would be brought down from their thrones of control That the thoughts of the proud would be scattered and that those who sit in darkness would receive the gift of light. And I believe they saw in Jesus' eyes a fire burning with compassion. What is compassion? It's the stirring of the heart when we see the suffering of another. Jesus said, I have come to bring glad tidings to the poor. That's compassion. That those who weep and mourn would find joy, and those who are oppressed would be lifted up. That's compassion. And those who are blind would have their sight restored, and those who are lame would be able to walk. And they saw in his eyes a fire burning with charity. That all persons, regardless of race, color, creed, or economic status, would be loved. That the world's goods would be able to provide sufficiency for all people. We may not always have a lot, but it's important that we have sufficiency for what we need. And that human rights would be respected and preserved. Doesn't this all sound familiar? It wasn't just in Jesus' day. It continues today. And I believe most of all they saw in his eyes a fire burning with love. So inflamed that it melts down hatred and greed and coldness of heart and rekindles the heart that has become complacent. What is complacency? It's like, I don't give a darn. Let somebody else do it. We kind of get in the funk and we just have no interest, no passion, no fire. A fire burning with love that calls each of us by name and loves us unconditionally asking nothing in return. God's love is unconditional. God doesn't put conditions on us and say, well, if you do such and such, I'll love you. God loves us in spite of everything right now in this very moment as we are right now, today. Not for what we're going to be tomorrow. Jesus asks nothing in return, but fills us with so much fire that like Jesus' disciples, we say yes to Jesus.
You know what, my dear friends? This happened to us at our baptism. We became fire. Who in this room remembers your baptism? Raise your hand. How many years ago about? Most of us were baptized as infants, so we probably don't remember much. But I want to read to you, share with you, the words that are prayed over us at baptism. Listen to these carefully. Because even if you've been to a baptism recently, what do we do? We're so attentive to the infant to see how that infant is going to behave. Is it going to cry? Is it going to whatever? And we kind of miss the words that are prayed over us. So there's some intercessions that are prayed. By the mystery of your death and resurrection, bathe this child in light. Bathe. Bathe this child in light. Give this child the new life of baptism and welcome him or her into your holy church. That's our welcoming ceremony, right? We're initiated into the life of Christ. Through baptism, make this child your faithful follower and a witness to the gospel. Now, isn't that interesting? We're prayed over to be faithful followers and witnesses to the gospel at baptism, at our initiation. And then after we're baptized with water and anointed with chrism, a white garment is placed on us with these words. You have become a new creation and have clothed yourself in Christ. That's what that white garment signifies. See in this white garment the outward sign of your Christian dignity. And with your family and friends to help you, because none of us can do this alone, with your family and friends to help you, bring this garment unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. That's a tall order, isn't it? How do we go through life bringing this new life, this this coating, this white garment unstained? And thank God, that's why we get forgiveness from God. We have the second of reconciliation. We can say we're sorry to each other. Those are very meaningful words. They're not empty words. There's an optional... Oh, and then the, the candle is handed to the parents of the child with the words. This light is entrusted to you to be kept burning brightly. This child of yours has been enlightened by Christ and is to walk always as a child of the light. We need to reflect on that. Have we walked always as a child of the light through how many years we've lived so far? May this child of yours keep the flame of faith alive in his or her heart. So we're called to keep the flame alive. There's a little optional ritual which is sometimes used where the priest blesses the ears and the mouth with these words. The Lord Jesus made the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. May he touch your ears to do what? What do you think? To hear his word and your mouth to to speak it, to proclaim it. Okay. So I just think the power of these words. Take a look. Can you read from back there? Can you see this? Bathe this child in light. Faithful follower and witness to the gospel. You are a new creation clothed in Christ. You're clothed with dignity. Bring it unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. The light of Christ is entrusted to you to be kept burning brightly. Walk always as a child of the light. Keep the flame of faith alive in your heart 
and receive God's word and proclaim it with your life. Those are powerful statements. So the same spirit that descended on Jesus at his baptism is the same spirit that descends on us at our baptism. And we're filled with this life of Christ. We're filled with the life of the spirit, which is deepened then in our confirmation. And we become fire. When I was a little kid in school, I learned that baptism takes a black mark off your soul. That's true. It's in reference to what? The removal of original sin. But it's also a beautiful way to think about in a positive way that we receive this fire of Christ. We become Christ's fire. We are on fire with Christ's love, which is a much more positive way to think about it. So baptism sets into action this commitment we make make when we're baptized and we live it out for the rest of our lives. For the rest of our lives. It's not just a once and for all thing. It's setting the stage for everything we are and everything we become and everything we do for the rest of our journey until we are called home to Jesus. So the question for us is, if we have this fire, then what do we do with this fire? That's the question tonight. What do we do with this fire? And what we do with this fire is really about how we live as disciples of Jesus. It's not a word, the word disciple, we don't use it a lot. I think we should use it more. It's a beautiful concept, a beautiful word. Being disciples of Jesus, what does that mean? So we have to be on fire like Jesus was on fire. And that fire that ignites us and guides us and warms us is the fire of God's love. And sometimes our fire grows dim, right? That's when we need other people to help us. We, we cannot walk alone in the Christian community. We are part of the Christian community. And we need each other to help us along, to direct us, to, to give us little nudges once in a while, to encourage so that the fire doesn't go out because it can easily go out. St. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, said, Fan into flames the gifts that God has given you. And I look around this room And I go, wow, the gifts right here in this room. Now, if I told you to take a piece of paper and make two columns, on the left you write all your gifts, on the right you put all your faults and failings, which which column would be bigger? Why is that? It's so much easier for us to recognize those. But I encourage you strongly to try to drop a long list of the gifts that you have because God has given them to you. Some of you have a great sense of humor. Some of you have a great sense of organizing. Some of you have deep compassion and understanding when you're with people. Some of you have great listening skills. Some of you have great communication skills. There's, you know, we can make the list go on and on and on. And don't underestimate these. They came to you by God. You develop these as you grow. So we need to recognize that that we have these gifts. And St. Paul is putting the responsibility squarely on us to stir into flame the gifts that God has given us. Don't let them sit like a fire under the bushel basket. That's what this is all about. All right? So we have to fan them into flame. And it's good for us once in a while to think about those gifts. What are the gifts God is asking me to fan into flame In my daily living, in my home, with my household, in my local community here, 
in the marketplace at work, in the parish community, in your role of service, wherever you are. What are the gifts God is asking you to fan into flame? And then how do you stir your faith? How do you stir this flame so it doesn't die out? So I just think the power here in this room, it's quite powerful. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, as I said, the question is, what do we do with our fire? A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus. The person, the teachings, that's why it's important for us to study the life of Jesus, his values, what he taught, how he lived, the standards that he lived by become how we hold on to things. It means sharing in the fundamental attitude of the master, who is Jesus. Being on fire, as Jesus the master was on fire. Discipleship isn't about learning a trade or pursuing a degree, is it? It has nothing to do with that. Nor are we just merely companions of Jesus. The disciples who were followers of Jesus didn't just walk along, did they? Mm -mm. They were challenged. They worked hard. They weren't just merely companions. So we're not sent out to convey a doctrine. We are sent out to build a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and then to share it with others. That's the call of the disciple. That's what our fire does, to proclaim a personal experience of the living Christ in our lives. We're urged by this deep desire then to draw others into that experience. It's about the life, you know, the personal relationship we have with Jesus within the community, always in the context of community. It's not a me and God thing. It's not a me and Jesus thing. It's me and Jesus and everybody, okay? And there's life. I mean, that's what we want to share. That's what we want to invite people to come feel and experience. And you know what? I cannot give you a manual. You have a few pamphlets in your packet that talk about evangelization, but I can't give you a manual that outlines everything. Because the gospel is our how-to manual for evangelizing, for living our discipleship. The gospel is our how-to manual. We learn from reading it, from studying it, from praying with it, from proclaiming it at the liturgy, proclaiming it in prayer services when we gather, listening to the homily, explain what the scriptures mean. I mean, if you would just take a minute now to mentally follow Jesus through the gospels as he's moving through the towns and villages, all right? We see him sitting at table, eating meals, even with sinners, right? We see him out on the street proclaiming. We see him meeting people where they're at, touches people, he heals them. He brings compassion and tenderness and liberation. How do you describe Jesus' approach? I think Jesus always starts by loving, by loving. That's where we always need to start. Reaching out, embracing, forgiving, healing. His motivation is always the dignity of the human person. You never find Jesus putting people down, right? I mean, go read the gospel stories, you will see. He treats people with utmost respect for who they are at that moment. And Jesus never manipulates or subordinates people to some grand plan. He meets them in their particular situation or their condition in their suffering, in their grief, in their loneliness, in their joy, in their doubts, and he rejoices with them in their happiness. And what always strikes me about Jesus not manipulating, remember the story of the rich young man? 
Lord, Lord, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus gives him the prescription. And he's scratching his head going, oh, this is too hard. I can't do this. And he clicks his heels and turns around and walks the other way. Does Jesus run after him? Does he say, hey, wait a minute, buddy. Come back here. I can compromise. I'll, I'll make this easier for you. No. Jesus respected his freedom. And Jesus honored his choice. It was too hard a saying for him. But Jesus didn't force him or manipulate. Jesus always respected the freedom of the human person. And so wherever Jesus goes, he brings love and warmth and compassion and healing and liberation. And that's what our fire can do. Think of the times when you've touched people's lives by your very presence. I mean, sometimes it's all you have is your presence. You don't have the words to say. You don't know what to say in a time of tragedy or suffering but you're present to the person. Think of what a gift that is. That's a tremendous gift. There are lots of people in this world who don't have presence of others. They're on their own. They're left alone. They're lonely. They're discouraged. So our baptismal responsibility is to bring the presence of Christ wherever we are, wherever we are, whether we're in the grocery store, whether we're at bingo, parish bingo. Okay? We should create hospital, warm, and welcoming environments wherever we are. And let people know, see how these Christians love one another. That's the basic message. So we are called to speak words of life, words of hope, words of rebirth to people who are spiritually or emotionally dead or dying. We're sent to salt. Why do you put salt on your food? What does it do? brings out the flavor. We are sent as salt to restore flavor to a world that has gone sour with sin and death. And we are sent as light. Jesus said, don't put your light under a bushel. We're sent as light to transform the lives of people. Okay? Light. And you know what? It's a journey. Our life as disciples is a journey. It's never finished. It is never finished. Like some young people think, oh, I'm confirmed, I'm done. No, you're not. You're just beginning, folks. So it's a journey. We're never done. That's why the priest prays in the baptismal rite that we may be faithful followers. Faithful, that word faithful is important. Okay? We have to be faithful to the journey, to the process. We're always becoming. And that's what St. Paul said when he, he said, we must put on Christ. Put on Christ. That all means the same thing. I think of that song from Godspell. To see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly day by day by day by day by day. Never done. Day by day by day. Okay? And then the second characteristic of a disciple is to be a witness. We are called to be witnesses to Jesus. And you can be a witness by your words, by what you say, and by what you do, your actions. My mother used to say, actions speak louder than words. How many had mothers who said that to you? All right, they all went to the same school. They went to the same mom school. Actions speak louder than words. A lot of times we don't need words. Our actions speak much louder. And people see that, all right? So... Jesus is not a law to be obeyed. He's a presence.
to be seized and acted upon. So the question is, how do we make Jesus the center of our life, the center of our spirituality? You've been working on it all your lifetime, and hopefully you're going to continue working on it. That's why we have evenings like this, to keep deepening that relationship, to make Jesus the center of our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves, boy, how do I nurture this relationship? Do I take time in prayer? Do I take time at Mass to reflect? Do I talk to people about Jesus? Do I share the message with people to help deepen? You know, all the things we do in our parishes are ways that we help ourselves deepen our relationship with Jesus, right? Now, in the prologue to John's Gospel, which we hear on Christmas Eve, we read these words. The Word was made flesh... And dwells among you. All right? And that's very important because the word was made flesh and dwells among every one of us. And I want you to look at the second last line here. And don't forget this line. The power of the gospel is within you. Never underestimate that power. The power of God's word is within you. Don't ever underestimate that power. It touches people's lives, it heals, it brings joy, it brings comfort. Big long list of what it does. All right? So when we read these words, the word became flesh and dwells among us, we have a big long word that that is called in our faith. It starts with a capital I or an I. Does anybody know the word? There's four syllables to the word. Incarnation. Okay. The word was made flesh. It becomes incarnate, which means taking on flesh. And dwells among us. So that's a real important concept as we look at ourselves as disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't a law. He's a person that we need to connect with and build a relationship with. And God needs people who are willing to give him their flesh and their bones, their bodies and their talents and their gifts. So that God becomes visible. There's a great book that was written probably about 12 years ago by Father Ron Rollheiser. It's called The Holy Longing. In one of the chapters in that book, he talks about the incarnation. And I love what he says. He says, The incarnation wasn't just a 33-year experience by Jesus in history. And then, poof, he goes up to heaven. He ascends and it's done. No, he says, it still goes on today through you and through me. And he said, The Son of God did not come here just to visit for a time. He came here to stay, to live among us. God is still here in the flesh and continues to dwell among us in the body of believers. Who is that? That's us. And in the Eucharist. How much more present could Christ be than in the Eucharist? And this is the line I love the most. He says, It is our job now to put skin on God so that God can be physically seen, touched, heard, and tasted. So as disciples of Jesus, that's our job, to put skin on God so that others can learn who this God is. What does that mean? It's the way we live our lives. When you're charitable, when you're loving, when you're giving, when you're compassionate, when you're a good listener, 
when you honor someone else's story, when you respect their human dignity, you are putting skin on God so that God can be physically seen, touched, heard, and tasted. So if it's true that we're the body of Christ, then God's presence in the world depends on us. That's all God has is us. So we partake in the incarnation. Okay, so that's our call as disciples. God needs people who are willing to give him their flesh and their bones, their bodies and their talents. That's why it's important to know your gifts, to recognize your gifts, so you can give them in stewardship and share them with others so that God can be made visible in every human situation around us, every human situation. I love the quote from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is what he says. Clothe yourselves as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Clothe yourselves with heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also do. And over all these things, put on love and let the peace of God dwell in you richly. I mean, if you just read through the letters of the apostles and the writers of the epistles, there is so much wisdom there. So many things to guide us in our life. You know, there were three crowds that hung around Jesus. Which, which one of these crowds do you think you are? The first crowd. The, I, I should say there were three groups around Jesus. And the first group was the crowds. They were just the people that hung around. Maybe they were just trying to get a fish sandwich. Okay. They didn't have much interest. They were looking for a handout, looking for something to eat or, you know. But they walked away. They didn't stick around. The second group were the scribes and Pharisees. They were the religious authorities who came to critique Jesus in terms of the law. And often they were hostile to him. Oh, how could you do this on the Sabbath? How could you do that on the Sabbath? And the third group was the smallest of all the groups. Those were the disciples. And they were the men and women who were committed to and responded to Jesus and his message. You know, St. Teresa says we have to be the ears, the mouth, the heart, the, the, the feet, and the hands of Christ. So we all have important roles. And often I think, you know, our mouth is an important part of our body, right? Because it's capable of speaking words of destruction or words of life. So we have to give words of life. We have to speak words of life and joy and compassion and hope and love. And then our ears. Do you ever wonder why God gave us one mouth and two ears? I think it's sometimes it's, it's harder to pay attention. It's harder to listen than it is to speak. So, you know, perhaps we're supposed to do twice as much listening as we do talking. I don't know. But listening to the whispering of the Spirit in our lives, where, where the Spirit's guiding us and directing us, listening to the cries of the suffering, the needs of the poor, the needs of others around me besides myself, because it's so easy to get focused on me as an individual, and listening above all to the Word of God. I need to make a home in my heart for the Word of God.
is my heart a home for God's word? And you only do that by reading and praying with the scriptures and learning the scriptures. And listening is an art. It's a discipline that, you know, we can learn skills. We need to practice it. And then our heart. Do you know that it's a physical fact that from your head to your heart, you have to drop 18 inches? Go home and measure it and see if I'm right. But it takes 18 inches from here to here. And often, sometimes we feel like, oh, we got this straight in our head, but whoops, I don't, I don't have it in here yet. It's not connecting. You know, we're not in sync because what we're thinking and what we're feeling are two different things. So it takes 18 inches to drop from our head to our heart. And we use the example of Mary who pondered all things in her heart. We need to ponder in our heart. That's what our heart is for to feel, to love, to ponder, what is God calling me to in this moment? What is God calling me to in my life? That means, you know, Mary pondered. What does that mean? She was attentive. She paid attention. She tried to discern and figure out what the meaning of what she was being called to do, to hear, to really hear what's being said. So we need to ponder. And then our hands and our feet. What does it mean? Get off your baptismal certificate and go do something. That's what Jesus said. The last words he said before he ascended into heaven. Go into the whole world and proclaim the good news to every creature. Get off your baptismal certificate and go. It was a command. Go. So, go. Be kind. Be gentle. Go. Help the poor. Go. Practice justice. Go. Be peaceful. Bring peace to others, etc., etc., etc. We can go on and make a long, long list of those. You know what? People whose hearts are on fire with God's love and God's word do not have to live with the wild abandon of a street preacher. About six years ago, a lady called me from a parish council. She was designated to make the phone call to me to ask me to come talk to their parish council about the big E word, evangelization. And I could tell in her voice she was a little bit skeptical and nervous. She wasn't sure what they were getting into. I could hear this tension in her voice. And as I spoke to her, I could hear these little kids in the background. And I said, Maggie, do you have little children? Yes. Well, do you teach them how to pray grace before meals? You know, I went through like five questions. Do you, do you teach them who Jesus is on the crucifix? The answer was yes, 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 yes. I said, that's how you as a mom evangelizes your children. This is what I hear. <sighs> this big sigh, like a big sigh of relief. And she said to me, what do you think she said? The first thing out of her mouth was, oh, I thought you were going to tell us we had to go bang on doors. And there are a lot of people that still have that misconception. They think it's about banging on doors. We're going to get to that in a minute. But we don't have to live with the abandon of a street preacher to be a disciple of Jesus. The person on fire with God's love may very well be a reflective, quiet, caring person like many of you in this room who would never be noticed in a crowd. Many of these persons... Our healthcare workers who work with their clients and their patients in a gentle and compassionate way, who show love. They are parents like yourselves whose goodness and values are caught by their children. They are business people who yearn to discover God in the marketplace 
and bring God to the marketplace by the way they live. Living with integrity and honesty and justice. So, I think they're everybody in this room. We don't have to be a street preacher. We don't have to be a rah-rah-rah person jumping up and down and yelling on the street corner, do you believe, are you saved? All right, some people are called to do that, but not all of us are. Very few of us are. But we are called every day of our lives to proclaim that Jesus is Lord by the way we live, by the way we act, by the way we speak to each other. So, what do you do with good news? When you have good news, what do you do with it? You share it. Okay, the emails are going, Facebook is going, all the modern means of technology, communication, telephones, etc., etc., etc. You share it. You don't keep it to yourself. Jesus is the good news. Is he not? Yes, Jesus is good news. That's the good news that we are called to share. So I always say to people, boy, you, you read a good book and you start telling your friends, oh boy, this is a great novel. If you like mysteries, get this one. Or if you like love stories, this is the perfect book. Or we have a great dining experience and we share that with our friends. Say, oh, if you want a great restaurant with such and such, here's the place to go. You do that with movies. My challenge to you is we need to do that with our faith and our love of Jesus with the same enthusiasm and energy which sometimes we find hard to do because as Catholics we've learned to be very private about our faith but you know what it's not a private affair we belong to a Christian community and we are called to spread the good news of Jesus so let's take a look at this good news that's what evangelization is all about that big E word when I say that word, often people back up or they want to disappear because they think it means banging on doors, knocking on somebody's door and shoving something down their throat. That's not evangelizing. That's proselytizing. And there is a big difference. Jesus did not proselytize. Jesus did not force. We are not, in fact, we are forbidden to coerce and force people to believe what we believe. It's about invitation. Jesus always invited. So evangelization is about bringing the good news into every human situation. Every human situation. All right, let's take a look. Family life. That's kind of easy. You know how to bring good news into your family life, right? How about recreation? What I call the recreational systems. What is that? When I say the recreational systems of our life, what, what does that mean? Socializing, sports, games, movies, books, television. Now, what does that mean? Bring the good news into every aspect of human life, even recreation? How does that apply? How does that apply? What kind of movies you go to, what kind of books you read, what, you know, that's simple. All right? Just think about it. Keep it practical. It's not a big $20,000 question answer. So, we are to call to bring the good news into every human situation. Every human situation. And it's about opening our hearts to God's word and then living it. Living that word, which you're all doing every day. You don't maybe call it evangelizing, but that's what it is. And you know what? 
Evangelization is the essential mission of the church. It's why Jesus started the church in the first place. He said, go and bring the good news to everybody, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So good news is meant to be shared. We all have stories of faith to share. You not only have a story of faith to share or stories, you are a story of faith. Every person in this room is a story of faith. What does that mean? Does God act in your life? Yes or no? Yes. Do you recognize when God acts in your life? Most of the time. Sometimes we sort of miss up. We don't always recognize it. But the more practice we do with it, the better we get at it. We get tuned in. And that's the whole purpose. How do we see the good news in our lives? Okay. Some people say, oh, I pray and pray and pray. God doesn't answer my prayer. Well, maybe God isn't answering it the way you want it. But God is answering somehow. And there's always meaning behind it. And it's that key to see the meaning behind it. All right? Maybe we don't see it right away, but we pray that we find the meaning. We need the guidance of the Spirit to help us figure that out. So, we are a story of faith. And we're changed by these stories of faith. Okay? We can change others by our stories of faith. When's the last time you talked about something in your faith to somebody? That's right. Did you ever find yourself walking out of church on Sunday morning and, or Saturday evening and turning to somebody next to you in the aisle and say, boy, that was a challenging homily, wasn't it? Or that was, that was meaningful, that was powerful, I learned something today. There's something I, you know, those are the ways that we share the good news. So it's not some kind of big mountaintop experience that we're always looking for. It's the simple things of daily living. Start paying attention to them. You'll discover how much you share that good news with others. Start paying attention to it. Okay. So if you want a bumper sticker definition, it's bring the good news of Jesus wherever we are. That's an easy way. And you know what? It's not a recipe. It is not another program in the parish. Read the last line. Evangelization is a way of life. A way of life. Okay. It's a way of life. All right. Now, there are five commitments that we as baptized people have to make, that we are called to make. And these are pretty simple. Just look at them. They're pretty logical. Well, the first one is a commitment to Jesus, right? We wouldn't be Christians if we didn't have a commitment to the person of Jesus. To know him, to love him, to serve him. Day by day by day. All right? And then, number two is pretty simple, active membership in the church. He can't be a bump on a log. All right? Active membership. And we do have a lot of people that are not active members. They're just on the books. Okay? Third, vital what does vital mean? Life-giving. Vital participation in the liturgical life of the church. So are you active at liturgy? Do you come regularly? Do you sing? Do you participate? That's what that means. Fourth, a moral witness to the gospel. It's living a moral life. Knowing the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, and practicing the good and the right. And being a witness to others about that. And often, you know, we find ourselves in temptation where it's easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing, especially when we're with people. 
okay, to do the right thing. And how about the last one? Is that a surprise to you? The last commitment is to evangelize others. In other words, be the good news for another person. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to drag somebody into church. It's being the good news and sharing the good news in whatever way you're called to do that. Okay? So, those are the five commitments we are all called to do as baptized disciples of Jesus. Okay, now, here's a question for you. If we're all called to evangelize others, who are we supposed to be evangelizing? There's three parts to that answer. Who do you think we're supposed to be evangelizing? Number one, I heard somebody say everybody, our family, ourselves, meaning ourselves as the body of Christ, as the members of this parish, as Catholic Christians, we have to keep evangelizing ourselves. That's how we keep deepening that relationship with Jesus. So when you think about all the things we do in this parish and the neighboring parishes and share with other parishes and, you know, Lenten programs, Advent programs, speakers, generations of faith, catechesis, the, list, the celebration of the sacraments, the celebration of the sacrament of the sick, the anointing of the sick, the celebration of communion, penance, etc., etc. Those are all ways that we are helping ourselves evangelize each other. Okay, what's the second category? Who would be other people other than us practicing Catholics? Inactive Catholics. All right. How many of you know somebody that has become inactive? Dormant. Yeah, dormant members of the church. I have close family, friends, relatives that don't belong to church anymore. I don't think there's hardly anybody in any room where I am meeting where there isn't somebody that doesn't know somebody. Okay. So, number one, ourselves. Number two, the active, inactive, or dormant, or absent, or missing, or sometimes they're alienated, truly. They're angry. They've had bad experiences. There's lots of reasons why people become inactive and alienated. And then the third category would be people that don't have any church affiliation or people that belong to some other denomination but would really be interested. Sister Rita Mary, who's in charge of the parish life secretariat, she's my boss, okay? Lovely lady. She was telling me a story a couple weeks ago about a number of years ago when they started the project of the church in the city. You're familiar with that in the diocese, the church in the city, where partnering parishes were, you know, helping suburban parishes, helping inner city parishes. Well, they had a committee of people working on something in the city, and these people were not all Catholics. There was a mixture, like 15 people that were from various denominations working on this project. And she began to notice the deep faith that these men and women had. And she said to this one person on the committee after they were done with all their work, she said, you know, I've been thinking. She said, I I've observed you. You have such deep faith. Have you ever thought about, you know, because she had connection with lots of Catholics. She says, have you ever thought about becoming a member of the Catholic Church? You know what the woman said? I am so glad you asked that question. No one has ever asked me. She opened up a whole new avenue in that woman's life. And she said to me, I never really thought about how important that question was before until I finally asked it. 
So don't ever be afraid to invite. That's what Jesus did. Don't proselytize. Don't, don't be like a bull in a china shop shoving something down their throat. Just invite. You can do it very simply. And once you build a kind of a basic relationship with somebody, it starts with that. But she had done that already through the work they did on the committee. And the woman was so grateful. She said, no one's ever asked me that before. Because a lot of non-Catholics don't think they could even think about joining our church. So I encourage you and I challenge you to offer an invitation to people you know. Whose job is it to evangelize? It's every baptized person. You know, years ago when I was a kid in school, we, we talked about the missions. What was the missions? Yes, those were the missions. And you know what? That has changed. The mission is evangelization. It's right here, right now. It's not just out in foreign countries. And whose job was it to do that mission years ago? The priests and the nuns, right? Once in a while you'd have some lay people. But the mission of the church is to bring the good news everywhere. So it's everybody's responsibility. Everybody's. Ours. So don't dump it on the parish staff. It's everybody's. We all have to do our part. Okay. Now... I want to talk about something that's very important. In the parish, evangelization is sort of a structured thing. Some people will kind of take responsibility for overseeing the efforts, and it would include things like, how do you invite the inactive people back? How do you reach out to them? How do we develop a more hospital, warm, and welcoming parish? There's lots of different areas. It's structured. But I want to talk to you today about what I call everyday evangelizing. We're all called to do that. You're not all called to serve on a committee in the parish or to do some big thing here, but you're all called to do what I like to call everyday evangelizing. Oh, this is just a little added piece of information. When we talk about the inactive Catholics, there are over 20 million of them in the United States. So my question is, whose business is it anyway? It's all of ours. It's all of ours. Okay? Everyday evangelizing, what is that? It's the way that each of us explicitly, not just in our head thinking, we do, explicitly share with others our personal relationship with Jesus in the daily stuff of life. That's what we've been talking about all night, right? Right?